out Avalon Church and see what we're all about. You honor us with your presence. Every single one of you are very special to us. I do, however, want to introduce to our church family um, a very special guest that we have with us this morning. His name is Gene. He is a disabled veteran. I think that it's safe to say, and I don't think he would mind me saying, that he's gone through some pretty tough days. Um, And we have had some of our church family, Paul and Stephanie, Mauricio and Jennifer, their families that have ministered in a wonderful way to Gene. And Gene said, I want to go to church. And so they made arrangements to have Gene with us this morning. Gene, I want you to hold your hand up real high, brother. I want you to know this. We're your family. You are loved here. I would say that to all who are our guests this morning. We will be your family. We will love you here. Gene, we're glad you're here. I hope to see you around here a lot. Acts chapter 2, the a beginning of a new movement, the beginning of a church. I want to read to you, if I could, not all of the passage this morning, but I want to start in verse 36, if you would allow me, and I want to read you really just kind of my favorite parts of this and some things that God has really laid on my heart for us this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 Verse 36, let me say first, is, is, the, is the last sentence. It's the very end of a sermon that Peter preached to a large gathering of people. He had preached this powerful sermon, and it was all about Jesus. And he used the Old Testament to point to who Jesus was. And he ends the message by saying in verse 36, let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Down in verse 41, it goes on and it says, those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls to this new movement, this this church, and so now their number was 3,120, and verse 42 says, they devoted themselves, they devoted themselves. Now, I want to say something in this series on devoted, right up front, I am not going to try and convince you to be devoted, because devoted is not something that you do, it's something that you are. It's a change that God makes in your life when you surrender yourself wholly to Him. You're devoted to Him. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And a result of this devotion, all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were willing to sell their possessions and belongings and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This was a new movement. It was a a growing church, and people were coming to know Christ as Savior, trusting in Christ as Savior, having a personal relationship with this Jesus whom they had crucified on a daily basis. There is so much in that incredible story that we could talk about today, but I want to tell you that as I studied this passage of Scripture, the phrase that, that I kept focusing on, I kept coming back to the phrase that I felt like God was saying to me, I want you to camp out there for a little while. I want you to think about that. I want you to study that. And I want you to tie that to devotion, devotion to the apostles' teaching specifically. And it's the phrase that's found in verse 47, where it says that they were praising God and they had favor with all the people. This new movement had favor with all the people, not just the people who were in this movement, not just the 3,120, but this was a group of people that found favor with all men and all women. And I think about the church in America today, and really I could say the church in the world today, And I wonder if we could characterize ourselves as being a group of people, a congregation that has favor with all people. Would you characterize that as as our situation here in Avalon Park in southeast Orlando or in Orlando? Would you characterize the church of Jesus Christ in America as, as a church that has a group of people that has favor with all people? And then I began to think why I can't really characterize us that way. And I began to ask myself the question of what is it that makes us resistant to people who don't go to church? What makes them want to stand back or even shun? Most of the things that people who don't go to church resist about the church are things the church should resist. Hang in there with me for a little bit. Most of the things that people who don't go to church resist about the church are things that we probably should be resisting too. Now, I want to explain that to you. When the early church we see in Acts, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I asked myself the question, exactly what is that? What was the apostles' teaching? I am concluded that their teaching focused on one thing, and that was the person of Jesus Christ. What the Old Testament scriptures had to say about him, and more so what they learned from him as they walked with him for three years during his earthly ministry. And they watched him, and they were changed by him. And the apostles' teaching more than anything else is teaching about Jesus 
And Jesus' teaching introduces us to something that is entirely new. It's important that we understand that this new movement, that this new congregation, that this new church was all about something that was radically and totally different. It was entirely new. As a matter of fact, you got to get this, and so I want us all to say those two words, entirely new. Say it with me. Entirely new. And Jesus' teachings, if we, if we took all that he taught and we, and we witnessed all that he did, I want to suggest to you this morning that it could be boiled, boiled down to just one word, a verb. And it's the verb love. And we could take all of his teaching and we could come and we could boil it down to this. Jesus says to us, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I am about. Here's how to reflect my nature, my character, my love. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to love God. I want you to love each other. I want you to love your enemy. Now that's radical, and here's the question that I have for you. What is so resistant about that? If that's what we're about, if that's what his teaching boils down to, if we are followers of Christ, if we apply his teaching to our lives, and ultimately what you could see and what you could say about us is that we love God, that we love each other, that we love even our enemies, how could people resist that? And if that's what people saw and experienced, could we, could we keep them out of the doors? Not, not begging them to come in, but could we, could we keep them out if that's what they saw? Why is there a resistance today? How do people view the, the church of Jesus Christ? You answer that question. Some might say that they find us very judgmental or people that have too many rules and they're tied down and, or it's an exclusive group of people. You have to have a certain kind of lifestyle and a certain kind of, 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 of habits in your life that if you have those, then of course you would be welcome or maybe there's a, a thought that there's a better than thou attitude that we have or maybe they just... They think we, we, we just want money, we just, and, and that's what they think, and they're resistant to that. When Jesus comes on the scene, during that, during that early first century and, and so long before that, all religions operated under what I, I want us to call... Um, a temple model. And there, there are certain things that make up this temple model. The, the first thing is, is that there's always a sacred place. Now look, this isn't just Judaism, though certainly it's Judaism, but it's, it was really all world religions that, that they had this model, and, and in this model was included a, a, a sacred place, a certain place to go. And, and usually there was a sacred text and there was a sacred 
man. And then there were, there were followers, sincere followers. That was, that, that was the model, and, and, and that's how religion operated. If you've been to, to Haiti, you, you've seen witch doctors. Well, that's a religion, and it follows this model. There's a, there's a sacred place. He's got this place, and he doesn't have to put up a fence to protect it. He just places a few skulls in certain places and trinkets, and you know you better not go inside of there. And then there's, this, there's a, certain, a, a certain or sacred place, and there's a sacred man, and he's the guy who carries things out, and he teaches people from, from, from his text, and this is what you should do, and this is what you shouldn't do. And, and there are those who follow him. We, saw that, we see that in Judaism. There's a sacred place. There's a temple. There's a sacred man. That's the, the priests and the high priests. And there's a certain text. And that's what they teach from. And there's a sincere following of people. And today in Syria and Iraq, we see this. And we see there being sacred places and sacred men who teach a sacred text and these people who follow them and their interpretation of the text and they do these horrendous things. We can't believe some of the things that they do. But that's the religious model. That's the temple model. That's the old model. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he makes all things new. The arrival of Jesus signaled the end of a temple model. The beginning of something entirely new. For the most part, this model is alive in churches in America today. In our church. But we discover by devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, that that wasn't Jesus' intent, that that model is not Jesus' intent. I want you to see how Jesus tears down these models. For example, Jesus foretold of a new movement. This was an, a, a time when Jesus and his disciples, they were traveling, they were headed up to uh, Caesarea Philippi, and, and evidently, they had been talking about Caesar and who Caesar was and who the people believed that he was. And Jesus says, who, who, do people, who do people say I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah, and some say. And Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter spoke up, and he said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You were the chosen one. And Jesus said, Simon Peter, God revealed that to you. And on this rock, on this proclamation that I am the Messiah, I will build my church. That church there is the Greek word ekklesia. And some of us uh, elders, I remember two or three years ago, we got together and we studied a book by Andy Stanley, and, he, and he'd addressed this idea of ecclesia. Ecclesia should be interpreted gathering, assembly, congregation. 
And the first English-written Bible that ever existed, by, uh, printed by William Tyndale, included those words. But it was later on that those words were removed and the word church was put in there. I will build my church. But what Jesus was saying was, I'm going to build me a congregation of people, an assembly of people, a gathering of people. And that's important for us today. When you think of church, you think of a place. But that's not church. Jesus says, I'm doing away with the sacred places. I'm going to build a gathering of people. And and those people are sacred. And I will be with them everywhere that they go. Dale, I'm starting to feel like you're blaspheming, that you're saying that this building is not sacred. Well, guess what? It's no more sacred than your home is. God gave us this building. We are to be stewards of this building. We are to use this facility for for His glory. We are to use it in ways that honor Him. But there's nothing sacred here. You're the one that's sacred here if the Holy Spirit indwells you. And God says, look, it's not a sacred place that you go to. I'm with you wherever you go. And we gather on this wonderful time, this encouraging time for me on Sunday mornings, and we worship Him. And when we leave here, We're still the assembly. We're still the gathering. We're still the church. And we're still sacred. He's still with us. He's kind of tearing down that model. And he's saying to us, it's it's not a place. He goes on and he says, he establishes a new covenant for us. See, before Jesus came on the scene... You needed somebody to be the in-between between you and God. You needed a sacred person. You needed a priest. And that priest would go to God on your behalf. God has opened the way for all mankind to approach him directly. Luke 22, 20, Jesus establishes a new covenant. He says, a new day has come. They're celebrating this this, uh, Passover meal. This is the first communion time, the first what we call Lord's Supper sometimes. And, And it says in the Scripture, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And he's tearing down this idea of a sacred person. I'm no more sacred than you are. And the Holy Spirit, God himself, lives inside of every believer. And it's important that that we have leadership and we have a structure and, and, and all of those things. But ultimately, this model that we have in our mind of what church is all about, I think Jesus is tearing down. There's a new covenant. There's a new way to relate. I am with you. He establishes a new meaning and significance of the application of scriptures. Okay, Dale, you had me until here, but now you're getting a little... Well, hold on a second. Here's what Jesus said. He said, I came to fulfill the law. 
Do you think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And what Jesus is saying is, what his claim is, is that everything, everything in the Old Testament pointed to him. That everything leads to him. He says, the law leads to me. I am the end of the law. Paul, the Apostle Paul, later on, some 30 years later, wrote a letter and he said, Jesus was absolutely right. The law is a tutor for us to reveal to us, to teach us who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf. Jesus says, I'm simplifying things. Here's your new application. He says, no longer do you need 630 laws. I want to make it a lot simpler than that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to make it a lot simpler than the Ten Commandments. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm offering you this. Love God. Love each other. Love your enemy. Now, with with this new application of the scriptures, he tears down for us these, this, this model. He begins to tear down this model. And with this new application of scriptures, he really, doesn't he, gives us kind of a, a, a new lifestyle. He gives us a new ethic. He gives us a new focus. He gives us a new purpose. Love God. Love each other. Love your enemy. John 13, 40, 34. A new command I give you, Jesus said. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. These disciples who, who were hearing him say this, they knew exactly what he was talking about because it was just a few moments before that that Jesus had taken off his outer garment, got on his knees, and began to wash their stinking feet. That's nothing. They would not do that for each other. He washed their feet. The very hands that they had seen take a few loaves of bread and break it and feed 5,000 people. The very hands that they had seen take mud and put it on a blind man's eyes and he all of a sudden had his sight. The hands that had performed all of these miracles, these were the hands that were washing their feet Jesus did for them what they wouldn't do for each other. And then he says to them, now what I've done for you, I want you to do to each other. I think that he's saying, I think he's tearing down this sacred man thing. I think think he's saying now, you know, when you speak to great crowds of people and when people come to you and people want to spend time with you, basically because you've spent time with me, that's probably the time you need to start washing each other's feet. You need to understand who you are because you'll never be greater than your master and your master washed your feet. And so knowing the things that would come Love each other this way, he was saying. He kind of turns this, this, um, um, this leadership paradigm upside down, right? 
I'm calling you to lead. I want you to lead. I want you to be leaders. And here's how you do it. Serve. Love each other. Wash each other's feet. And all in this room, we're all leaders to some degree, to some extent. He kind of turns that upside down and he says, when we love, we lead. We had a wonderful, wonderful men's breakfast yesterday morning. Pastor Skip came and, and spoke to us, and he talked a little bit about leadership, and he challenged our men to be spiritual leaders in their home, but he reminded us that leaders are those who follow, that we can't lead without our eyes focused on Jesus, that we can't lead without loving, that we can't lead without serving. And I think that that's what Jesus is teaching us here he teaches them to love one another. And then he says, look, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. I think Jesus is saying, you know what? Love is going to replace the law. The sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God replaces the old animal sacrifice. It's as if he's saying the horizontal is replacing the vertical. And here's what I mean by that. It's no longer how well you pray or how well you attend church or how it's, 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 it's all about, it's more so about how you love one another. That's, that's how it's manifest. How we love one another. It's how well you love people who are difficult to love. I want to I go back and, and ask you this question. What is resistant about that? It's not about how well you, you do the to-do list. It's about what, how well you love people, even your enemy. It's about how well... You love people who are even difficult to love. I would remind you that in Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5, he says, he says look, if you, listen, this is, this, is a, this is a huge lesson. He says, if you, you, you take your sacrifice and you go to the temple and you're ready to offer your sacrifice to God, and you remember, it comes to your mind that there's someone who has ought against you, there's someone who has harmed you, you need to leave your sacrifice and go and offer forgiveness and reconciliation and with this person. You need to love them. It's as if he's saying, God will wait. Go get that right. That's, that's a profound teaching. And then Jesus, as if that wasn't enough, if he hadn't turned these people's world upside down enough, he gives a whole new meaning to Passover, a whole new meaning to the most important celebration in Jewish tradition. Before we look at what he said, let me give you a scenario that I heard Andy Stanley use. Don't be offended, but what if? What if there was a, a press conference and the news was made public, Billy Graham was going to speak, 
and, 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 and all the work. He, he had something he wanted to share, and everybody needed to listen, and everybody needed to be, pay attention. And, and he says, he says, look, um, when I die, because God has used me to have such an impact on this world, on December 25th, instead of celebrating Christmas, instead of celebrating the birth of Jesus, I want you to celebrate my birth. What, what if he said that? That's crazy, right? Those of you who, are, who are, 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 have a Catholic background, and what if the Pope said, one day I'm going to die, but when I die, praise God, I'm going to heaven. It'll be a new birth for me. It'll be a, I'll come alive again, and after I die, instead, on Easter, instead of celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, why don't you celebrate the resurrection of me? Now, as absurd, as absurd as that is, that's how absurd what Jesus said to these disciples was. Here's what he said, Luke 22. He took bread. And he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, Here's the bread. It's my body. They said, No, it's not your body. We've been observing this celebration for 1,400 years. This bread represents the last meal that our people had before they exited Egypt the next day. That's what this bread represents. You remember Moses, right, Jesus? You remember him? It kind of celebrates him and, and his leadership. He saved so many people. He rescued so many people. Who have you saved? Must have been what they were thinking. And this absurd suggestion that they take this, this Jewish tradition and say, no longer does it represent that. Now it represents my body, which is given to you. My body, which is broken for you. Who have you saved? Who have you rescued? I don't know if Jesus said it or if he just thought it. But maybe it was something like, oh, just wait. Just wait. I imagine they were thinking, you can't, can't mess with Passover. But listen, that's what I mean when I say Jesus brings something that's entirely new. And he tears down this model that we don't see in this early church. The only thing that was resistant to the early church and got them in a lot of trouble, but the only thing that was resistant to the early church was that they said Jesus is our king. Well, Herod didn't like that. Caesar didn't like that. And they spoke against that. And even religious leaders of the day didn't like that. Jesus is our king. And, you know, if that's going to bring resistance, that's the kind of resistance I can handle okay. I'll be all right with that. But he sees that this, this model that has been in effect has, 
is, is making people resistant, and he begins to tear down this model. He says, listen, this isn't Old Testament 2.0. This is something entirely new. It's not the continuation of something old. This is something that's entirely new. The old has been replaced by something new. The Old Testament law is reduced to a single verb, and in its application, it's love God, love each other, love your enemy. We see God doing incredible, great things in this beginning church in Acts chapter 2. But then, at some point, that old model, this tradition that had had been steeped in their minds for hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years, began to come back in and they began to implement this old model where we've got to go to a sacred place and listen to a sacred man from the sacred text. we got to follow him. we got to do what he wants to do. And Jesus says, it's not that anymore. I'm tearing that down. This is something entirely new. This is about love. We'll grow in this if we are devoted to the apostles' teaching. A teaching of Jesus about a new movement and a new covenant and a a new application of the Scripture, a new ethic, even a new meaning to Passover. Because listen... There's nothing irresistible to loving God, loving each other, and loving your enemies. Let's pray. God, I, believe, I, I, I ask that you might do a work in every heart and life in this room. That you might give us your heart on these matters. I I ask, Lord, that you would give us your burden for others, your compassion for others, your willingness to sacrifice for others, your your willingness to to share and get involved and, and help and serve other people as an expression of the love. We ask, Lord, that you would do that in us so that we might show you how much we love you, that we love you when we love other people. And Lord, even even those who oppose us, even those who we might call our enemies, Lord, fill our hearts with love. I pray, Lord, that the, 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 the very characteristic, the identification of who we are, what people see in this church is those people love God and they love each other and they love even their enemies. And when I say that to you and when I think about that, I have to tell you, Lord, my first thought is, well, that's impossible. But all things are possible through you. And you can change us that way. And I ask that you even begin to do that in this moment. Devotion is who we are. It comes from surrender to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We surrender ourselves to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. We're going to stand and sing, worship a little bit. I want to invite you to stand as you're doing that. Um, I want to mention we have countless opportunities to love other people. I'm praying fervently, and I have been, and I'll continue to pray fervently, that when people think of Avalon Church, they think of people who love. I'm not talking about our scheduled events. There's a lot going on that you can be involved in. I, I know that we're working with Pastor Skip and, and feeding a, a group, over 100 homeless people every Sunday, and there's opportunity for you to be involved with that. As a matter of fact, if you have questions about Jennifer, raise your hand real, real high. You can ask Jennifer how to get signed up, how to help with that. we got a new quarter coming. You, you all supplied so much last quarter, and this new quarter, uh, we're re-signing up again. I hope that you'll help with that. What an incredible blessing. What an incredible expression of love that is. But I'm talking just as much about opportunities you have every single day. Do you remember when we talked about, Lord, I'm yours today. I want you to use me today. Any way you want to use me, use me today. I, I believe with all of my heart, you cannot pray a prayer like that and Him not use you on that day. And we just have to be sensitive to opportunities He gives us to speak His name, to, to minister, to care, to be involved, to love. I want that to be who we are. I believe Jesus says, I want you to be I want that to be who you are. I want that to be who you are. And we can be. With His strength. For His glory. Amen. Amen. Arthur, lead us.